This week, um, this week we are going to be sampling Bullet Bourbon Frontier Whiskey. Uh, Provided I can get it open. Right. Do you need a knife? I might need a knife. Um, so this is a a very strange bourbon. Um, so it was originally distilled in 1830 by Augustus Bullet, and abruptly stopped and disappeared from. Uh, history like all historic records in 1860 so it was going strong for 30 years and then it was just done um modern bullet began in 1987 by augustus's great great grandson thomas e bullet um and actually it's unknown at the moment where it's currently distilled um some some people have said it's at four roses and there's all sorts of confusion in it and it's actually caused a lawsuit um Consumer confusion resulted in a lawsuit in 2015. Um, but despite all that, the uh, Bullet Bourbon has won several uh, awards in the past few years, um, taken home a lot of gold medals. Uh, it's supposed to be a very good, uh, well-priced bourbon. Um, so for an aroma, we got a strong, smooth oak, bold rye um, flavor, and then there's hints of uh, orange zest. For a palette, we should be getting some orange notes, winter spices, and tobacco leaf. It is meant to be sipped uh, because it's a very spiky texture. Um, the high rye content in it makes it spicier and bolder than your typical whiskey. Um, and then our finish is uh, the spiciness does become pleasant, uh, and it becomes a smooth, soft, lingering finish with a sweet and savory rye aftertaste so we're gonna we're gonna sip on this bourbon and we'll let you know at the end of the episode uh what we what we think about it i managed to get it open uh sorry for any background noise there while i fought with the label can you go over the as i pour a finger here what were the notes i remember orange uh, so you're going to be looking at orange, winter spice, and tobacco leaf. Um, it's going to be spicy, and um, it'll it'll be unpleasant the first few sips you take. It's going to be it's going to be rough, but it gets better. Um, so I can smell the orange. Whoa, really? I'm over here, yeah. Oh yeah, I definitely got. I the smell orange. the mint. I smell the winter mint. Is that what you called it? Is that what it? Winter spices. Winter spices. That's what it was. Um, and you, you did mention it would be a little, the first few sips would be a little extra, uh, spicy. Right. So I, I can foresee that just by the smell. Um, <coughs> excuse me, before we get too far going this week, uh, I think it might be a good practice to, uh, snap a picture of the bottle. Yeah. Put it up on, uh, Instagram. So we'll do that for our whiskey last week and for uh this one this week and we'll we'll do that going forward yeah um, for sure that's a good idea what uh if if you want to see it or you know anything else related to instagram what's the instagram again we are at whiskey podcast on instagram all right at whiskey podcast i need to get on top of that <laughs> i get that remembered um so all right i'm gonna take my first little sip here and we're just 
drinking it neat. No, nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. It smells. You get orange out of that? I'm not getting any orange. I'm getting orange. Hmm. Interesting. Well, you took a sip first. What do you think? Good. It's definitely a prickly, a prickly taste. I love sipping on bourbon, so I think this is a very good. This is something I could like sit down and watch baseball and just treasure it. Just kind of veg out. Yep. All right, down the hatch. Wow. That was thrilling, uh, thrilling entertainment there, that silence while I drank, but <laughs> um, that was a lot smoother than I thought, yeah. than I expected, and I didn't, I still don't get the orange, but I got the other two, um, the tobacco, wow, that was way smoother than I expected. Um, You're welcome. Yeah, good choice, Megan. Yeah, it only took me staring at the wall of whiskey for 45 minutes at the liquor store today, so you know. Um, I'm going to try to find applause, an applause sound effect and put that in there <laughs> when I just clapped because it sounded so sad when it was just me. Um, I'm going to go ahead and apologize now if you guys hear background noises. We got the dogs running around playing. And currently, they're fighting over a uh, bone on a rope. So, of course, um, this is the, a uh, two-man, two-person podcast. So we are all that's here. Yep, one man, one woman. D yeah, <laughs> whatever. But anyway, so this week uh, I'm going to teach you guys and Megan about the um, U.S. slash Western world's generations, and I'm going to preface this heavily by saying leaning heavily on the u.s aspect of it since we're in america okay makes sense um but before i really get into it um i just wanted to kind of mention how much i learned doing this and and you know just researching all these different generations and the thing that stuck out to me more so than learning the details of each generation was just how everything connected, how all the generations are intertwined and things that happened in America, you know, five generations ago still affect us today. It's the butterfly effect. It is the butterfly butterfly effect. And it's, it's really interesting to me to see those relationships. All right. Um, so teach me senpai. Me. All right. So, the first, I'll just go through the generations and list them. Okay. Um, the first, I don't want to say the first generation, obviously, because they weren't the first, but the one that was kept track of uh, where they started keeping track of generations was called the Lost Generation. Um, behind them, you have your Greatest Generation, uh, then the Silent Generation, the Baby Boomers, Slash Generation Jones. That'll come up later, obviously. Um, after them, you had Generation X, Generation Y, a.k.a. Millennials. That's us. Hi. And um, after after us, you've got Generation Z. And finally, bringing up the rear at 
you know, six to seven years old, Generation Alpha. Okay. So. Hopefully they don't fuck up the world like the rest of us have. Oh, man. I don't think anybody's, I don't think anybody's left it better than they found it. I don't think so either. <laughs> but, um, all right. So we'll start with the Lost Generation. Start from oldest to youngest. I almost said newest. <laughs> 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 Technically not wrong. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're <clears throat> Technically right. correct. The best kind of correct. <laughs> um, for all you Futurama fans out there. All right, so um, the name of the Lost Generation came from, um, it was it was novelist uh, Gertrude Stein. Okay, she, I've actually heard of this. Yep, she said it to Ernest Hemingway. She said a quote, uh, all of you young people who served in the war, you're all a lost generation. And that kind of coined the phrase uh, lost generation. And Hemingway went on to popularize it uh, in his novel, The Sun Also Rises, in 1926. Okay. And in his memoir, A Movable Feast. Um, ironic, well, I shouldn't say ironically, but uh, crazily enough, it's believed that Stein actually just repeated the quote to Hemingway. She heard a French garage owner berating his younger employee and basically said you're all a lost generation and um like you're a lost fucking cause get the fuck out of here kind of yeah and and you know regardless of the the origins you know the name did truly fit that that group um broadly and again this is broadly because there's a specific group called the lost generation too um, but broadly, it refers to the group who came of age during and just after World War I. Uh, the most common birth years are from 1883 to 1900. Um, so I figure since this group came of age during World War I, the, the Great War of that time, you know, we should probably talk about it and learn a little bit about it. Okay. <laughs> I told you I got on a tangent. A little bit. I see that now. <laughs> so... As for what started World War One, it was several long-term factors. Um, basically, it can be summarized with nationalism, militarism, imperialism, and alliances all played a part in raising the tensions in southeastern Europe in the 1900s and the early 1910s. Um, countries were constantly trying to expand, and that caused other countries to build up their militaries and make alliances with other countries, which just kind of yeah. created a vicious cycle. Yes, it did. It makes sense. Yeah. So as a result, that that area in Europe just kind of became a political powder keg. Mm, um, That's mine. Specifically in the Balkans region, uh, the instability, the political instability, threatened several alliances that were made in there. Um, In uh, in the Balkan Wars were fought in 1912 and 1913, and several borders ended up being redrawn because of this conflict. And um, I'm not really going to go into a ton of detail for time's sake. Uh, but after the Balkan War, Serbia made claims to Albanian territory, which Austria-Hungary did not like. Okay. And then on October 17, 1913, Austria-Hungary issued an ultimatum to Serbia, basically telling them, get the fuck out of Albania. And did they did they get out of Albania? No. Oh. Um, so World War One officially started in 1914 when Austrian Archduke Franz Ferdinand was assassinated by a Serbian nationalist, Gavrilo Princip, 
who wanted to end Austria, Austro-Hungarian rule over Bosnia and ah shit. Uh, I practiced this too. Herz, sound it her, out. Herzegovina, Herzegovina. <laughs> I don't think that's right. It H E R Z E G O V I N A. That one. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Many countries, including Austria, Hungary, blamed the attack on the Serbian government. Um, and like I said earlier, there was a lot of alliances that were made. Serbia was in good with Russia, whereas Austria, Hungary was in good with Germany. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Germany was already at odds with France and Great Britain over imperial issues, trying to expand and button heads. So that put France and Britain against Austria, Hungary. And Serbia mobilized their army and asked Russia for assistance, thinking that Austria-Hungary was prepping for war. And so on July 28th of 1914, Austria-Hungary, Aust- I keep wanting to say Hungary, Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia. And due to all the alliances made within a week, Russia, France, Britain, and Serbia were lining up to fight Austria-Hungary, Germany, and the Ottoman Empire. Okay. Everybody was like, you got my back? Fuck these dudes. We're going to war. Fucking men. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking men. Um, so World War I was complete carnage. Yes, thank you. Thank you for the toy, bub. Uh, World War I was complete carnage due to the advancements, of the advancements in technology uh, combined with archaic combat strategy. So it was kind of like new tools. And an old way of thinking met. Um, they used trenches, airplanes, chemical warfare, and it all became just a gruesome war because of yeah. the lack of modern tactics. Um, it's estimated that 15 to 24 million people died and 21 million more were wounded Jesus during Christ. World War I. Yeah, that's huge. So, how does this tie into the lost generation? Well, having witnessed these massive amounts of death and destruction in, in the Great War, the members of the lost generation who survived tended to feel a deep sense of loss and anger, loneliness, and pessimism, and, you know, it kind of makes right. sense when you went through something that, that traumatic. Yeah, everyone knew someone that died. So. Absolutely. What was uh, what I just say? 24, up to 24 people died and 21 million more wounded? That's, if my math's right, that's 45 million people population that had to have been a ton that's a huge chunk um anyway so many of the lost generation came to reject traditional ideas in regards to behavior and morality opting to act recklessly aimlessly um they tended to rebel against previous generation which again i think that's a pattern that's going to pop up yeah it is uh i i put in my notes (coughs) prohibition (coughs) (laughs) <laughs> I literally wrote that in my notes. <laughs> um, so they, they kind of came back from the war and, and rebelled against their parents who had started Prohibition. And and it created... The lost generation helped create, because of this rebel, rebellion... Jesus Christ, I cannot talk today. Um, the Roaring Twenties, and it sparked bits of hedonism, along with speakeasies and the gangsters that are associated with that time. All right, so we would not have this podcast if it was not for the lost generation. You are absolutely right. I will drink to that. All right. Cheers. Cheers.
Still no orange. I taste orange. That's orange zest. I'm like, mm. Maybe I get a hint of orange zest, but I really get the tobacco on the back end. Yeah, I, I do really too. Get that. It makes me want a cigar, honestly. Um, all right, so that's pretty much all I got for the Lost Generation. It was a long mm-hmm. time ago. They first generation. They didn't keep good notes. Um, I do have a couple <laughs> of famous people um, <clears throat> from the Lost Generation, and I mentioned earlier uh, that it. it refers to a smaller collection it's it's typically it's often used to refer to a group of oh damn another word ex expatriate writer an expat writer basically somebody who lives in a different country i don't know if you knew that i had to look it up anyway (laughs) (laughs) anyway an expat writer who lived in paris after the war um so that would be uh some of the famous people were ernest hemingway uh, he wrote The Old Man in the Sea, For Whom the Bell Tolls, A Farewell to Arms. Uh, F. Scott Fit- F. Scott Fitzgerald, the guy who wrote The Great Gatsby. E.E. Yep. Um, e. Cummings, T.S. Eliot, Gertrude Stein. Um, these were all people who lived in Paris after the war. Um, and that was the quote-unquote lost generation, the small group. There, Those writers are known as the lost generation. All right, um, cool. <clears throat> a few other famous people are uh, Amelia Earhart, Charlie Chaplin, and Babe Ruth. You got to have Babe in there. Oh, of course. Which, uh, ironically, before this, I thought he was part of the greatest generation. I would, too, just if I had to guess. but. And that's where I was coming, just to guess. Yeah. But now we get to, um, I would say, potentially my favorite generation. Okay. Um and that's the greatest generation, also known as the GI generation. Okay. Um, so the greatest generation typically describes people who were born between 1901 and 1927. Uh, quite often, these are the children of the lost generation. Um, the term greatest generation was actually popularized by Tom Brokaw's book, The Greatest Generation, which was about the people who came of age during the Great Depression and fought in World War II. Excuse me, that whiskey bit back on me there. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, due to the ties to World War II, the greatest generation, sometimes known as the GI generation, like I said. Um, so they were born into a time of economic success and rapid growth in technology. Automobiles, radios, telephones, all that was just being invented. Um, and, you know, the Roaring Twenties were occurred. I don't think I gave the dates on these. Those guys were from, uh, they were born from 1901 to you 1927. Did. I did? You did. Oh, yes, I did. Forget that. Uh, anyway. It's only the second episode. It's okay. Yeah, we're going to suck at this for a while, but we're going to get better. Um, so, yeah, uh, technology was evolving rapidly for the time. The Roaring Twenties were happening. Life was going to be great until the stock market crash of 1929. Oops. Somebody uh-oed. Um, between 1929 and 1932, the U.S. GDP fell 27%. 27%. Compare that to 2008, 2009, the Great Recession, where it fell 3%. All right. That's a little bit of a difference. That's a, that's a difference. <clears throat> Uh, the unemployment rates were as high as 25% at one point during the Great Depression. And again, if you want to compare that to the Great Recession, it was 10% was the high. So okay. unemployment was 15% higher 
Um, Did you look up unemployment today during the Corona virus? If I was better at this, I would have. I might. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't. I, I have some information on the COVID situation uh, in one of the generations down the road. Um, Why you look that up? Uh, the decade that followed helped to greatly shape, you know, their strong work ethic, the humility, the frugalness, and the sense of self-sacrifice that uh, that generation exhibited. Um, these values were accompanied by integrity personal responsibility and faithful commitment um and a lot of those values inspired millions to join the military after the attack on pearl harbor um it also helped that group win the war and quite frankly helped the u.s become an economic superpower what you got for me so uh as of uh may it was 19.8% 19.8% unemployment. Ooh, great. Yeah. Oh, so I guess we're doing worse. Ow. <laughs> I guess we're doing worse than the great, great recession. Just for, just for everybody's explanation there on the ow. My dog is chewing a toy right at my foot and he, and he bit, bit my foot. <laughs> Thinking it was the toy. Jackass. Uh. Oh, Bo. All right. Uh, where was I? Um, so once they returned from the war, they helped the U.S. become a dominant world power. Um, prior to World War II, home ownership in the U.S. hovered around 46%, but, but between the end of the war and 1960, it soared to 62%, um, because this generation wanted to give their children, the baby boomers, a safe and secure home. Um, in addition to a place to live, they set high standards for their children, putting emphasis, emphasis on education. Um, up until 1925, less than nine years was the average amount of time spent in school. Yikes. Um, with the emphasis on the education, that number grew to 12 years in the baby boomer generation, which means that the greatest generation were making sure their kids at least got through high school. They put emphasis on graduating high school. Okay. Um, in addition to putting the emphasis on graduating high school, Uh, 40% of baby boomers went on to graduate college compared to 10% of the greatest generation. So they definitely pushed education a lot more on their children, which may or may not be a reoccurring theme. Um, So I put in here um, in my notes about some of the... As great as this generation was, it's unfair not to mention some of the shortcomings that they had. <clears throat> if you're not white and male, you know, whatever. Pretty much. <laughs> um, although I I got to push back a little bit on the male thing because they did kind of, women took over America while the men were off fighting and helped. They were an essential part of the war machine. I don't, I'm not saying that they had rights or anything like that, but... <laughs> That that came later. Um, I mean, they they just did everything. Yeah, it's but you know they they played a significant part in it. But overall, yeah, racism, sexism, and homophobia were pretty present throughout the U.S. until the 1960s, and even still beyond then. um, Yeah, look what's going on today. It's exactly still going on. Um, Wow, the dog just shook the whole desk. Um, you know, and, and I, yes, this stuff existed, 
um, during that time. Does that mean everybody was like that? No. Were the majority? Yes. You can say that about probably any generation. There's there's a minority. In this case, it was a majority. But, you know, it's a generalization. Um, uh, where were my notes? Okay, yeah. Uh, not everybody from this generation was racist, sexist, or a homophobe. There were those who weren't. Um, John Horn Burns was a gay American who served in North Africa and Italy during World War II. He wrote a novel called The Gallery in 1947. And in this novel, he portrays the life of a soldier in the war. Enough. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that in the microphone. (laughs) (laughs) I'm scolding my dog. (laughs) This is going to be an interesting episode, guys. Yes, it is. Um, So, uh, anyway, John Horn Burns was a gay American who served in North Africa and and Italy during World War II. Uh, He wrote a novel called The Gallery in 1947, and in this novel, he portrays the life of a soldier in the war based off of his experiences. In this novel, he depicts GIs as exploitative exploitative, bigoted, and dishonest. He recalled to his mother that these characteristics tended to be found not so much in the soldiers that were seeing active combat, the ones on the front line, but it was those that were, quote-unquote, out of harm's way. And he even went as far as saying these men were having the time of their lives. So Yeah, right. um, They ended up, as I mentioned earlier, the children of the greatest generation are the baby boomers. Um, so a couple of famous boomers, I'm sorry, a couple of famous uh, greatest generation folks are JFK, Marilyn Monroe, Nelson Mandela, Ronald Reagan, Rosa Parks, Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow, a.k.a. Bonnie, Blonnie and Clyde. <laughs> Blonnie and Clyde, Blonnie guys. and Clyde. Um, <laughs> Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, Frank Sinatra, Walt Disney, just shout out to that Time Time Suck episode that just aired. That was really informative. It was. That was um, fascinating. Go n- listen to Time Suck. Absolutely. <laughs> and give it a five-star rating. And us. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, like I said, Walt Disney, uh, Lou Gehrig, Louis Armstrong, Lucille Ball, George H. <clears throat> you okay? I, I, yeah, I just choked on the air. George H.W. Bush, Jackie Robinson, Judy Garland, Joe DiMaggio, Ted Williams, Stan Lee, John Wayne, Alec Guinness, John Steinbeck, Dr. Seuss, and Jesse Owens, and a whole shit ton more. I just, you know, stopped. That was very entertaining, <laughs> watching that. All right. So, now I think we're going to get to my second favorite generation. Oh, God. This is not your second favorite generation. Oh, yeah, it is. You're such an old man. You don't... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is my grandparents' generation and if I had to if I had to combine my personality or say who made up my personality is my grandmother and my stepdad. So she is such an old soul. She embodies this generation. Oh, so I love this. <laughs> oh, I'm excited to see what this brings. Oh. Teach me. All right. Mm, I need a sip of, sip of drink. Oh, there we go. All right. So the silent generation, a.k.a. the lucky few, uh, they were children of the Great Depression, and as such, they kind of witnessed the horrors of World War II from a younger perspective. Um, they were born for a, typically from 1928 to 1945. Um, 
They lost fathers, brothers to the war, saw the fall of Nazism and the devastation caused by the nuclear bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> due to the timing and the turmoil of the Great Depression and World War II, this generation is much smaller than most others. Um, again, a pattern we'll see. Uh, okay. Big, small, big, small, big, small. Huh, um, okay. Due to the timing... Oh, yeah, I just said that. Um, <laughs> smaller than most others. After World War II and as they came of age, the silent generation found themselves in, a, in an era of post-crisis social order. Essentially, we just went through this big crisis ordeal. Everybody, be on your P's and Q's and just live your life. Easy. I like order. Okay. Just saying. <laughs> anyway, the name Silent Generation came from a 1951 Time Magazine essay um, with later reasoning that the silent term came from a combination of them following the rules throughout their lives, not really taking chances, and an unwillingness to speak up during the McCarthy era. The silent generation tended to be frugal from growing up in the Depression and the insistence of their parents. Um, who were obviously older during the Depression. Um, in addition to being frugal, they, similar to their parents, married young. Younger, in fact, than any other generation. Um, even though they married young, though, this was the generation that uh, lessened the negative perception with divorce. Um, so they started accepting divorce more. Okay. So um, they that's... got married younger just in time to go, I really don't like you. <laughs> Maybe we should get divorced. Um, so, um, comparatively, divorce was considered the ultimate sin by the greatest generation. Um, this generation is also called the lucky few or the lucky ones due to coming of age during the greatest period of sustained economic boom that America has ever known. The economy was rapidly growing, and some theorize that part of the success of the silent generation is due to the lab- labor force labor force being in short supply because the birth rates were so low in the 30s and 40s because of the depression and the war rip this resulted in the lucky few experiencing higher than normal wages supply and demand fewer workers yeah same demand um others argue that the silent generation learned early on uh just to play by the rules and that they just had the best economic timing um For example, most people save the most money during their midlife. For this generation, the lucky few, it roughly coincided with the 1980s and 90s bull market, which allowed them them to retire just before the early 2000s, the crash, uh, the dot-com crash, and again in 2008. And this resulted in the healthiest, wealthiest, and most educated uh, elder generation so far. Because they accumulated such wealth, many Silenters have stayed the financial providers to their extended families. Uh, which many give money to their Boomer or Gen X children and set up trusts and funds for their grandkids. And ironically, in record numbers, Silenters have taken formal custody of grandchildren as well. Oh, wow. Um, it is estimated that about 30% of the Silent Generation men were Korean War vets, but most were too old to fight in Vietnam, and those who did were typically commanding, in commanding roles. Um, another interesting... F- oh, I'm sorry. I skipped my interesting fact. Um, 
So uh, another interesting fact I had was that most of the civil rights leaders and activists of the 1960s were members of the silent generation. This generation, although labeled silent, helped start the ethnic and gender and social equality movements oh, in the U.S. All right. Okay, I um, like this generation. Yeah, yeah, they're a pretty good generation after yeah. all. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, okay. It's estimated that... Um, Oh, I just said that one. <laughs> That's what I get for going out of order, stupid. Um, the silent generation was never represented in the White House. Um, they were skipped when the greatest generation, George H.W. Bush, lost to Boomer Bill Clinton. Really? Yep. So they never had representation in the White House. Well, dang. Um, so just to name a few uh, famous people, and again, I'm going to try to do this as well as I did the last one. <clears throat> Martin Luther King Jr., Warren Buffett, Ted Turner, Liz Claiborne, Calvin Klein, Michael Eisner, Malcolm X, All the Beatles, Elvis, James Dean, Bob Dylan, Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, Bob Marley, Clint Eastwood, Jimi Hendrix, Muhammad Ali, Ray Charles, Neil Armstrong, Johnny Cash, Pete Rose, and many other. Oh, and I really heard some kind of effect on my voice there. <laughs> it wasn't as bad as you think it was. Okay, good. Um, yeah, it was good except for the, uh, I, almost, I, I almost said Bill Marley. <laughs> Um, so I, I can really relate to that generation just because my grandparents are that generation. And as I was going through this, I was like, yep, that's my grandparents taught me. Yep. They said, save their money, save your money, do this, get an education, blah, blah. And so, you know, I'll drink to my grandparents' generation. Hey, yeah. And now we go from the generation I like. Hmm. <laughs> the generation I dislike. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say I dislike half of this generation. So. Okay. That would be the baby boomers. So um, baby boomers typically refers to the generation of people born from the greatest generation in the post-World War II baby boom. The general years associated with that are from 1946 to 1964, which is a lot earlier than I thought. Yeah. Um, it's the largest current generational, it was the largest current generational group in U.S. history up until recently when the millennial generation overtook them. Yeah. We, so, got, we got numbers now. So you're saying that baby boomers were hippies? That was the hippie generation. Sort of. Okay. Wait and listen. Okay, continue. <laughs> Sorry. Um, the, um, this was the largest current generation, or this was the largest generational group until the millennial generation overtook them. Um, as far as birth numbers go, they are still the largest. They had the most born. Uh, it's just currently millennials have more. The boomers have died off. We've not. <laughs> At least not as much. <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> Um, so due to the largeness of this generation, the latter half of the boomers has actually been called Generation Jones from time to time. This is a reference to the quote, keeping up with the Joneses. Um, and so from here on out, just because it's really two generations in one, I'm going to separate them out into the boomers and the Joneses. Okay. Just to keep things simple. Because realistically, 1946 to 1964, if you grew up in the 1950s, that's a lot different than growing up in the 1960s. Yeah. Um, so, 
we'll start with the boomers the first half that's everybody from 46 to 54 um just in case i didn't give the dates on generation jones that's 1954 to 1964 um so partially uh because of the economic prosperity following the war and another part you know due in part to the gi bill which allowed military personnel to buy homes um suburban life became very common uh for boomers and young older joneses i'm sorry i I get get those backwards all the time so that would be joneses born like in 54 55 Mm -hmm. um their parents used credit cards to buy appliances, cars, and other consumer items, creating a new consumer culture. Debt. Just as technology was rapidly evolving. So, perfect example is Generation Jones has never lived in a world without television. Really? I mean, I've, I guess that... They grew up with the television. It's, it's, it's hard to say one generation... You know, boomers are one generation when half of them grew up without television and half of them didn't. Yeah. You know, so that's just one example. Okay. Um, oh, let's see here. This, combined with the large number of people in the generation, resulted in strategic marketing efforts directed towards the boomers and the Joneses. Television came out. Advertisements, people start, well, I guess advertisements weren't new, but they were on TV. You know, you look at an old baseball park and they had advertisements mm-hmm. back then. But it led to an extreme marketing of this generation, which you still see in generations today. When I was doing research for this podcast, every time I looked at one of the current generations, it was how they are in the workplace or how can you market to them. And, and so it's, it's still going on today. People target you based off your generation. That is so true. <clears throat> Um, so like I said, they were, there was strategic marketing efforts directed towards both boomers and Joneses. Um, as they approached adolescence, boomers grew rebellious to this consumer lifestyle their parents created. Many boomers began to join the civil rights movements started by the silent generation fighting for equality for minority groups such as African Americans, women, homosexuals, and many others. Um, most boomers Uh, I I should say some boomers, not most. Some boomers actually shunned politics and embraced an anti-establishment mentality resulting in the counterculture movement. So, yes, the boomers, the older boomers, were the hippies. Okay. And they give people so much. Well, I guess this is my problem. I say boomers. I get frustrated with boomers a lot. I'm frustrated with the Joneses. Okay. I don't like the Joneses. I don't. I don't care. The Boomers were cool, chill people. The the Joneses were, yeah. Okay. But um. Anyway. Um. So they embraced the anti-establishment mentality, or started the counterculture movement. This led to a change in fashion. First and foremost, the suit, the hat, gone. Dresses. Yep. Women. You know, women didn't have to wear dresses. They could wear higher dresses and bikinis and all that sort of good thing. Bell bottoms. Yeah, I think those were more of the 70s, but... Oh, well, whatever. Um, I just want them to come back. Oh, Lord. I will admit, at my second job, I did see a girl a couple weeks ago wearing bell-bottoms, and she looked... Oh, I wasn't <laughs> even the bell-bottoms I was looking at, so never mind. <laughs> <laughs> never mind. <laughs> it just made her proportions look 
hourglassy at the bottom too. We'll just say it that way. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it led to a change in uh, their, their counterculture uh. movement led to a change in fashion, uh, rise in recreational drug use, and along with the advent of the birth control pill, the beginning of the sexual revolution in America. Uh, many people during this time openly protested the Vietnam War, organizing protests across the country, dodging the draft, and while others did see military service, uh, it is estimated that over 10 million people from this generation served in Vietnam, and approximately 10% of the men in this generation went to Vietnam. Jesus. Um, as for the Joneses, there was no required military service or really any defining political movements. They were the Joneses by the time they were eligible for draft. It was after 1973, after the war had ended. Mm -hmm. So, again, another reason to split the two out. That's a big yeah. generational gap. Yeah, it is. The Joneses, um, they were too young to participate in the counterculture or civil rights movements of the 60s. You think if you're born in 59, you're not going to go march in a civil rights thing at five unless your parents drug you. Yeah. So... Drug is in drag, not drug is in weed. inject you with yeah. something. Yeah, and... Um, <laughs> I, apparently, I I just realized drug is not the right word. Dragged. Um. Anyway, that's my, my co-host. That's my rednecked talking for you. <laughs> <laughs> um. Hey, Nay Nay, what you doing? Um. <laughs> I'm sure y'all can hear her. Oh, I just touched her butthole. <laughs> I tried to I tried to stop her tail from <laughs> I tried to stop her tail from hitting the table. And I ran my finger across the butthole on accident. Okay, we need to write down what time this is and cut this. Oh, no, section. this is staying in. No. <laughs> uh, oh, any, my God. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> hey, knock it off, y'all. Knock it off. This is mine now. Oh, you just... They literally just pulled my chair down. <laughs> all right. All right. Back Jeez. to the... All right. I still think we should cut this out. But... Nope, we're not. We're leaving it. Okay. All right, um, so one group, you figure those that were born in 46, you know, late 40s, they're 15, 20 years, 60, mid-60s, they came of age. They were teenagers able to go protest and protest the Vietnam War and do the drugs and all that stuff. Whereas if you were born in 1959, you're going to be a teenager in the 70s. You know, so my parents, and I, I can't speak for years, but I know my, my parents are joneses and my parents boomers. are my parents are i guess joneses too yeah. um and, 58 and, and 60 so yeah yep joneses um let's see so they were too young to participate in the counterculture and civil rights movements of the 60s and some experts even consider the joneses to have held some bitterness towards the boomers since they didn't experience the same freedoms and opportunities uh, when they did come of age in the 70s, the Joneses faced a worsening econom economy, economy than their older counterpart, and they're often described as alienated, disillusioned, and even cynical because of their experiences when they came of age. I believe the stock market crashed in uh, 70, 78, right about the time they were coming to the job force. Um, Joneses do share commonality uh, with boomers and Gen Xs when it comes to pop culture. They lived through, uh, with the boomers, they lived through, um, damn, I can't think of it. Um, Helpful. I've got it, I've got it down here, hold on. Uh, the moon landing and the Cold War. 
Okay. That's what it was. I didn't go into detail on either one of these things because they're both pretty significant history that we might do an episode on one day. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Richard Perez Pena, uh, Jones there, wrote an article in the New York Times in 2014 entitled, I may be 50, but don't call me a boomer. It's a really good read. And I think a few of his quotes sum up the relationship between the boomers and the Joneses very well. Older boomers may have wanted wanted to change the world. Most of my peers just wanted to change the channel. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Um, macro, macroeconomics form another dividing line. Also... Yeah, this is a quote from him. Okay, I thought this was my notes for a second. Macroeconomics form another dividing line, also in the early 1970s. By then, nearly all of the first half boomers had finished with school and were starting their working lives. They had lived through a period of historic economic growth when it seemed a rising tide really did lift all boats. People just a few years younger grew up with that kind of prosperity, but it evaporated when they reached the age to seize it. From 1973 to 1982, the United, St United States suffered through three recessions, two energy crises, inflation, and high unemployment, a disillusioning time to establish a career. Um, and the final quote was, people raised in the immediate post-war years had more faith in their government and an idealistic view of America that curdled in the 60s and 70s. My childhood memories of the evening news, on the other hand, include the war, protests, Watergate, and the dour faces of Johnson and Nixon, not the grins of Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy. In this way, I think we late boomers have more in common with the jaded Gen X that followed than we had. We had less idealism to spoil. So, again, seems like there's a little bitterness there. Uh, that sounds very bitter. I, I don't... When I was going over this, the, the term little brother syndrome kept coming into my head, but I feel like the younger child usually is the one that gets spoiled, but in this case, it was the older group that got spoiled. Yes, it was. So I just thought it was very interesting to, one, I didn't know that generation was two separate generations. Yeah, I didn't know you could break it apart like that. Mm. But it, it really divides itself really well. It does. I wonder why we don't divide them automatically. Like, I think some some experts in this field are doing that, um, but I think just the common folk aren't aware. Um, the last little bit I've got about the Boomers and the Joneses here, I'm going to come back to, uh, excuse me, I'm not going to separate them out. They're all going to be Boomers, Joneses included. Um, as Boomers and most Joneses approach retirement age, the 2019 Boomer Expectations of Retirement Report estimates that 45% of all Boomers have little to no retirement savings. Again, I'm including the Joneses in this because the report did yeah. it for an all baby Boomers. Yeah. There's a contrast uh, to the, their parents' generation, which it, during that time, the burden of retirement was placed on the company. So the company pensions. paid pensions. Um, Must be nice. I have a pension. Yeah, shut up. I don't. <laughs> um, and it wasn't on the individual, which is like a 401k or an IRA, which is what boomers experience, 401ks, IRAs. Um, the previous generation saw many of their members work for one company for their entire career, earning a lower wage than boomers, 
but they retired with a considerably large pension. And for boomers, like I said, the responsibility of retirement fell on their shoulders. And with the fact that most boomers are expected to live 10 to 25 years longer than their parents, it means that boomers need more money in retirement than their parents had. And quite honestly, the main side effect of this is that boomers are working longer in life than previous generations. Yeah. Which will play a role later. I am. uh, Yep. And (laughs) you can you can definitely see so far just out of the few that we've covered. Or I guess we've covered the majority now, but the lost generation was fairly small. Then the greatest generation was fairly big. And then the silent generation was fairly small. And, you know, their kids, a small generation means your kids' generation is probably going to be small too. And the boomers were kids of the GI generation. Millennials Mm -hmm. are kids of boomers. So we're the largest generation now. So it's it's just a very interesting relationship, um, you know, and how, how these things relate. Um, all right, so I did break this part out. Uh, so we're going to go through some famous boomers first, and then we'll hit some famous Jonesers. Okay. <clears throat> Elton John, Oprah, Meryl Streep, Robin Williams, Dolly Parton, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Samuel L. Jackson, Stevie Nicks, Billy Joel, Bill Murray, Jeff Goldblum, Tommy Hilfiger, Donald Trump, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, O.J., Hillary, Freddie Mercury, Pablo Escobar, and Stevie Wonder. And I did not say Billary like I wanted to. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I figured that would have been a... I should have wrote that in there. I'm so glad like, you didn't say that. I'm so glad you didn't say that. <laughs> uh, all right. Some famous Jonesers are Madonna, George Clooney, Ellen DeGeneres, Carrie Fisher, Michael Jordan, Tom Hanks, Tom Cruise, Bill Gates, Magic Johnson, Michael Jackson, Barack Obama, Steve Jobs, Garth Brooks, Steve Irwin, Eddie Murphy, Whitney Houston, and Princess Diana, and a billion others. There are so many people. This was so hard to do once I got to the boomers, picking these famous people, because there are so many names that I've heard of. You know, it was... Important names. It's not the... Nobody else was important. I mean, they're important. Like, yes, JFK, Monroe, Mandela, Reagan, all those people, you've heard of them. But, you know, compare it to Babe Ruth, uh, Amelia Earhart, and Charlie Chapman. There's just not that many famous people from, you know, the earlier eras. And the closer we get, the more people we've heard of that we think are famous and I think are worthwhile. Yeah. Um, So next we've got. Gen X. Uh, Gen Xers were born between 1965 and 1980, uh, with the beginning of the generation marked by the decrease of the post-World War II birth rate. So the end of the baby boom, literally. Um, Gen Xers were typically born to members of the silent generation or early boomers, and they're typically the parents to late millennials and the Gen Zers. Again, that relationship of small silent generation, small Gen Xers, small Gen Zers, mm-hmm. or Zoomers. That's a dumb name, but <laughs> anyway. Uh, relatively small at around 65 million people, Gen X is often labeled as an in-between generation, similar to the silent generation. They're sometimes called the latchkey generation, since many were left unsupervised once they were home from school. Uh, That was primarily due to either both parents working or having divorced parents. 
as mentioned earlier, with the silent generation, the parents to these guys, they, the divorce rates doubled in the 1960s. They, yeah. They, uh, I'm sorry, in the 60s and 70s. And so it became more common for women to be a part of the workforce just in time for Gen X's childhood. Um, they're also sometimes called the MTV generation uh, because they, they came of age right at the beginning of cable TV. Yep. Um, they lived through the first computers, Reaganomics, and AIDS, the or the AIDS epidemic, I should say. Um, most Gen Xers became conscious of politics while Reagan was president and experienced his trickle-down economics as he implemented. Um, just as they graduated college, the stock market crashed in 1987 and made it pretty difficult to find a job. And this resulted in many retaining menial jobs and living in starter apartments, earning them the reputation of lazy underachievers. Sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you said they were graduating college in 87? Yeah. They were born... Oh. The earliest were born in 1960. I was thinking of my sister, who was uh, born in 1979, and I know she's, she's the Gen end. X. Yeah. She's the tail end. Okay. I was like, wait a minute, she was not graduating college in eight and Okay, just don't listen to me. Um, so, like I said, it retained, uh, they kind of earned the reputation of lazy underachievers. You guys got to chill. Give me that toy. Mine. Um, so, technology was advancing, and Gen X embraced the change. Uh, many Gen Xers learned to program in BASIC on the first computers, and played the first video game systems. Think arcades and Pac-Man and those sort of things. Um, the love for technology is still apparent today uh, in the form of Google, Amazon, and YouTube. All of these companies, all of these companies, along with a multitude of others, were founded, and many are still run by Gen Xers. Makes sense. Um, like many of their successes, these are typically overlooked in favor of millennial successes and boomer challenges in old age. To quote writer Jeff Gordinier, Gen Xers are doing the quiet work of keeping America from sucking. <laughs> I mean, uh, truthfully. My sister's going to get a kick out of that when she hears it. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, a couple famous Gen Xers are... Kurt Cobain, Eminem, Tupac Shakur, Joe Rogan, Robert Downey Jr., Kobe Bryant, Rip, Will Smith, Mike Tyson, Paul Walker, Rip, J.K. Rowling, Tiger Woods, Jennifer Aniston, Leo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Elon Musk, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Derek Jeter, Tom Brady, Kim K., Adam Sandler, Charlie Sheen, Cameron Diaz, Mark Wahlberg, and Shaq. Again, right. it gets harder and harder to choose these people because there's more <laughs> that I know until you hit the generation after mine. And then you're like, who in the I, fuck are, are these, these people? people? <laughs> <clears throat> um, so now we get to uh, our generation. All right. This is the best generation. Millennials. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to forewarn everybody. I'm a shitty millennial. <laughs> I'm a great millennial. So. I am so bad at it. I, I should have been born a like an actual silent generation or baby boomer. Like an early boomer. <laughs> Not one of those damn Joneses. Anyway. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I can describe my beef with the Joneses into one, one sentence, and that is my parents criticizing Gen Z and calling them millennials. <laughs> and that just irks me to no end. <laughs> like, you're criticizing the generation after me. 
Not <laughs> not my people. Those people. <laughs> I criticize them too. Um, uh. So all right, millennials. Dates for the millennial generation are sometimes debated. Some experts extend it into the 2000s. Nope. However, the generally accepted dates are from 1981 to 1996. So that puts us towards the tail end. Uh, the name millennial comes from the fact that most were born or came of age around the turn of the third millennium. Another name used to describe this generation is Echo Boomers due to the fact that many millennials are the offspring of boomers and an increase in birth rates similar to the post-World War II baby boom. These are the two largest generations, and millennials are typically the parents to Generation Alpha, so we can imagine that generation is probably going to be large. Great. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. Me either. Let's, <laughs> let's leave. Let's leave. <laughs> to quote famously quote Patrick Starr. Um, so one defining difference between the millennial generation and Gen Z. All right, Nay, I'm, I'm going to grab your tail this time. Uh, I just smacked my face on the mic. <laughs> uh, we're struggling, guys. We're struggling so hard. It's only a second episode. Yep. Don't judge Give us, us too break. hard. <laughs> uh, one defining difference between the millennial generation and Gen Z is the millennials were old enough to remember the September 11th attacks in 2001. Oh, yeah. And most were able to understand the historical significance, yep. whereas Gen Z would have typically been too young to remember. Um, I remember where I was and what I, I was do doing too. that day. What were you doing? Um, so my mom uh, worked for a company called Oppenheimer Funds, um, who had floors at the Trade Center. Mm. And so I woke up to my mom bawling, sitting in front of the TV. And I was like, Mom, what's going on? And she just was shut down and broken. Mm. And I, I figured something horrible had happened. And so she spent the whole morning like trying to call her work people and see what was going on and freaking out about all of her friends in New York and all that crazy stuff. Um, and I remember because she had so much shit to do at work, like she was like, you're going to fucking school. Like I can't watch you right now. So she sent me to school. And I remember just throughout the day, constantly kids' parents were coming, just pulling them out of class. Um, and I remember sitting down in class and I think we were just allowed to sit there in color and like all the teachers like got together and talked and it like cried and it was, it was surreal. It was really surreal. Um, it definitely made me realize that this is not a safe world. I think that was my first real experience into this, this place sucks. So I have a confession to make. Oh shit. I'm a dumb person. I don't know if y'all have got that by now. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, re I thought the pilot, I was like, it's the pilot's fault. Why were you flying so low? I didn't realize it was a terrorist attack until the next day. Oh, I'm a dumb person. Bless but your heart. I rem Thanks for that Southern insult. <laughs> you're, you're, you're warming up to us Southerners. <laughs> a little bit. Um, <laughs> um, I remember where I was though. I was in third grade. I was in my homeroom class. And the teacher got a phone call and asked, wrote something down on a piece of paper and asked me to take it down the hall to the math teacher. And in hindsight, she was telling the math teacher without telling the students what was going on. Did you read the note? No, I didn't. I'm a good boy. Oh. I'm a dumb good boy. I would have read the note. <laughs> well, <laughs> I didn't. And I remember while I was in the hallway, and I mean, these classrooms were like, 
you know, 50 yards apart, you know, maybe. Yeah. Not far. While I was in the hallway, they made an announcement over the intercom, but I don't remember. I couldn't hear it. I couldn't make out what they were saying because it was too far away. Um, and I walked into the math teacher's room and gave her the note and, okay, bye. And <laughs> turned around and walked back to my class and the TV was on and the building was smoking. And that was when I was like, oh, this is bad. Yeah. Something, something bad. Something bad has something happened. Something bad's happened. I, I thought it was just an accident until, you know, like later that evening, my mother explained what was happening to me. Apparently, I, I is dumb. And, um. You were a kid, so <laughs> we'll, we'll let so, it slide. Yeah, okay. Oh, sorry, Nay, that's your tail. Um, but anyway, um, being old enough to understand the event, uh, the 9-11 event and the subsequent war on terror, um, helped shape many millennials' political opinion and contributed drastically to, uh, the polarizing political climate we live in today. Yeah. Um, in addition to the war on terror, uh, millennials faced the most uncertain economic future perhaps of any generation since the great depression yep uh the stock market crash in 2008 along with two decades of stagnant wage growth and record amounts of debt primarily in the form of student loans has made the economic conditions rough for millennials um as we started to enter the workforce in the early 2000s not me i was seven but you know my people Oh, damn, it's another one of them words. <laughs> Mono, mon, monopsony begin occurring. Monopsony. Mono, monopsony. Monoposony. Um, <laughs> anyway, monopsony. Monopsony is when there is a single buyer for a service, product, or market. In this case, and I'm quoting now, when workers don't move around from both job to job and region to region, employers have more power when negotiating wages. Hmm. This translates to employees getting paid less. This is a problem that gets worse over time because raises become less and less, which doesn't allow people to save money or invest in opportunities for future income. Um, and again, don't forget to add into this equation massive amounts of student loan debt the millennials are racking up to go to college. Yeah. And so I'm going to get into a little bit of a personal anecdote here, and you feel free to chime in. All right, I'm going to listen. Um, so I can't speak for anybody else in my generation, but I was told my entire life. Again, my grandparents are silent generation. My parents are Generation Jones. My stepdad's Generation Jones. Uh, the formula for success in life is to go to college, get an education, and save money. You'll get a good job with a good salary, and you'll be successful. <laughs> I've done that. Where's my success? Where's my good job? Where's your money? <laughs> exactly. Instead, I work two. Um, yeah, so it didn't work out so well for most of us. Um, yeah. Most millennials have started adulthood with less household income than previous generations, uh, resulting in living paycheck to paycheck with a prioritization of day-to-day expenses. I fucking so know just, that. Yeah. Living day-to-day, paycheck to paycheck. Yep. Uh, because of the struggles to find a livable income, many millennials chose to pursue education beyond a bachelor's degree, adding on that student mm-hmm. debt, while others make do with part-time or contracting gigs, like driving for Uber or Postmates or something like that. Um, the ones that do find steady work 
full-time work, something similar to what I do, they're often pigeonholed in entry-level jobs at the bottom of the pay scale. And as I hinted at earlier, part of this can be attributed to the boomer generation who is not retiring. They're not leaving. Because they have to work longer because they're, they don't have the money for retirement. Live longer, yeah. Because the silent generation still, a lot of them are still kicking. A lot of them still have the money. So there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that happened decades ago, 50, 60 years ago that's still in play now making it hard for people to find jobs you guys are gonna destroy this table (laughs) um so that's rough it is rough it's frustrating and it's frustrating to be well i'll touch on it here in a minute um i don't want to get ahead of myself uh like i said part of this can be attributed to the boomer generation who as stated earlier not retiring and halting the upward motion of the following generations um contrary to popular belief and I want to set the record straight on this because it pisses me off when my parents say this. Most millennials grew up before the internet was a household staple. We just embraced it faster mm-hmm. once it became available, along with cell phones, social media, and social media. Um, Gen Xers, like I said earlier, they were the original video gamers, but millennials grew up with the rise of the gaming console. Mm-hmm. Um, this embracement of technology has helped you know, in part to fuel the reputation that millennials are highly educated, self-confident, technologically savvy, and ambitious. But others have viewed the millennials, especially in the workplace, as entitled and narcissistic. But studies have shown that they have the same long-term career goals as boomers and Gen Xers had. The difference mainly stems from different generations being at different stages of life. For instance, as mentioned above, many millennials are forced into waiting to land their dream jobs due to a lack of upward motion because boomers aren't retiring. And I don't mean to point fingers and poke poke holes, uh, you know, shit on the boomers, but it it just is what it is. Yeah. I I don't think I think there's a lot of Yeah, we want a decent job and a decent wage. You guys wanted that when you graduated college. I mean, you guys need to retire and let let others yeah, you know, let us take yeah, over. Yep, yeah. but anyway, <clears throat> um, the economic factors uh, that that the millennial generations face, combined with being very socially progressive, uh, it's resulted in the majority of the generation being fairly liberal, or at least more liberal than previous generations. Um, I think that's pretty obvious nowadays. Um, a couple famous. Millennials are Usain Bolt, Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Adele, Serena Williams, not Venus, Britney Spears, LeBron James, Emma Stone, Bruno Mars, J-Law, Michael Phelps, Justin Bieber, Cristiano Ronaldo, Mark Zuckerberg, Emma Watson, and Aaron Rodgers. And I I know this list is full of females, full of women, because... (laughs) This is so embarrassing. (laughs) My co-host, ladies and gentlemen. As I was going through, I was looking at pictures. I pulled up a website it was actually um uh damn i don't i don't remember which one it was it was uh today in history and it had pictures of famous people for each generation and i started writing down names and i realized it was a lot of famous women that i want to bang and so i was like i gotta start throwing like usain bolt <laughs> and lebron and mark zuckerberg i gotta start throwing some start throwing some dudes in there so my co-host ladies and gentlemen hey 
I like celebrities. I, J-Law, I want to bang you. Britney Spears. I don't know if I said Britney Spears. Um, yeah, Britney Spears, I'd bang you. All right, anyway, <laughs> on to uh, Emma Stone, Emma Watson, all the Emmas, I'll bang you. Gen Z, <laughs> Zoomers. That's the dumbest name, Zoomers. God, I got to take a drink for that name. Uh, Megan's going to disown me. It, um, you have the recording equipment. I can't leave. <laughs> <laughs> My Wario laugh. Uh, all right, so Gen Z are typically, a.k.a. Zoomers, are typically the children of Gen X, with birth years running from 1997 to 2012. So everything you complain about millennials, Joneses, it's them. You're complaining about Gen Z. And if you can't see me, I'm pointing at somebody that doesn't exist. <laughs> um, most members of the Gen Z generation are Gen Z generation. Most members of this generation are comfortable with the internet, social media, and technology in general, having little or no memory of a world without smartphones. Uh, Gen Z was positioned to come of age during a period of low unemployment and strong economic growth. Until COVID nineteen hit, hey hey, twenty twenty, y'all fuckers back down. Um, anyway, a March twenty twenty <laughs> survey. I found this interesting. I, honestly, there's not much data on this group. Um, and they're all still kids. they're they're still very very young. And the the data I did find, I didn't put it in here because it's very similar to millennials. It's just they're more liberal and they're more trans gender and um what was the other word they're more accepting of transgender folks and i forget what the other word they're, they're for gender equality yeah and... gender equality that's the term yeah they're a little more gender equal for more gender equality than the previous generations if i can learn how to talk um but they're pretty similar to millennials they're fairly liberal very fairly progressive so i didn't feel the need to include that um but i did find this uh, back to the COVID bit. Um, there was a survey done by the Pew Research Center in March 2020 that reported, excuse me, that half of the oldest Gen Zers, which puts them ages 18 to 23, reported that they or someone in their household had lost a job or taken a cut in pay because of this outbreak. And this was significantly higher than the shares of the millennials who. It was 50% for Gen Z, 40% for Millennials, 36% for Gen Xers, and 25% for Boomers. The study also reports that this is largely due to the amount of Gen Zers that work in the service industry. Um, a couple famous Gen Zers are Billie Eilish, Greta Thunberg, Kylie Jenner, hey, one I've heard of, Simone Biles, actually I've heard of her too, Sean Mendez, Lil Pump, <laughs> Maisie Williams, A Aria, Jake Paul, and Lil Nas X. <laughs> I hope I said all those right. Lil Pump. Jesus, I wouldn't want my name to be Lil Pump. I feel like that that similar to one pump chump. Just tiny. <laughs> Alright, I'm done. Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm gonna get sued by Lil Pump. Oh, <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's, okay. the, that's the zoomers, the Gen Z, they're fucking everything up. Um, them and the damn boomers. Um, 
The final generation is Gen Alpha that runs, uh, they're, they're typically, uh, typically, they were born in 2013 and the generation's going to end in the mid-2020s, so in the next five years or so. Um, there's not really much to be said about them yet because, like I said earlier, they're six, seven years old, the oldest ones. They haven't really done much. Just got out of diapers. Good job, guys. <laughs> hey. I hope the world lasts until you can become an adult. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these these people are typically the children of millennials. That's that's about all I got on them. Um, so that's that's a loose, real quick and dirty look at the generations. I really, I didn't expect the interconnectedness. Yeah. That there was, you know, I, especially the the whole boomers not retiring thing. That. I learned a lot for sure. Yeah, um, it was it was really fun and uh, researching all this. I didn't even realize the silent generation was a. You a thought thing. I was going to go into the boomers. I and thought you were going to go favorite. into the boomers. Oh yep. no! I, I was. So, I listed them off beforehand at the I, beginning. <laughs> I've been drinking. Oh, so have I. And the dogs <laughs> have been messing with my chair, and it's driving me crazy. There we go. Um, so I, I had a lot of sources um, for this. I'm not going to get into. Uh, all of them, but four big ones were uh, Forbes.com, History.com, ironically, HowStuffWorks.com, and Investopedia.com. But Investopedia kind of makes sense when you think about it. You're looking at it from the economics aspect. Yeah, okay. Um, which was kind of something I tried to focus on a little bit more because... The world's on fire? Not even... No, I think the world... Well, yeah, it's on fire socially and economically, but I tend to... Th- think that well number one i'll just be point blank about it i put emphasis on economics over social (laughs) personally um i don't like people (laughs) um but anyway it's i think it helps to know where we came from in both you know social issues and economic issues to know where we're going so we don't repeat you know the, the mistakes in the past and it's I'm in a position me personally if I work my 40 hour week job I can retire at 56 I just had a conversation with my dad yesterday about he said you're going to be bored as hell blah 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 you're right I probably will but now now that I've done this research it's got me thinking maybe I should instead of me staying in my role until I'm 65, maybe I should retire from my role and get a part-time job at 56 and kind of flip the system on its head of we've got Gen Zers working the service industry jobs and maybe not get a service industry job, but do something like Uber or a gig type job. And Who knows what's going to be out there when yeah, we're 65 yeah, or 56? Hell, or... I don't even expect to hit that, hit that number. <laughs> I don't expect to hit that decade. Ouch. <laughs> I mean, I'm just honest. I hope you're wrong. Maybe. We'll see. Only time will tell. But anyway, what'd you think of this drink? Um, it I really liked it the more I sipped on it. Um, like it said I would. Um so it I've gotten used to like the first kind of stab of spice that you get. Now it it feels pretty good. Um, when it hits my tongue, um, I said it's something I could probably 
sit here and sip on for a game and just hang out, relax. I, I'm not going to lie to you. Like I said earlier, I'm dumb. I can't process multitasking and whatnot. It's, it's enough for me to talk into the mic and read the screen. So I've been drinking it, but I haven't been absorbing the flavor. Um, so I got a little bit left. I just took a little sip and I, it's, it's easier. It's going down easier. It was smooth to begin with, but it's going down easier. Um, there is still a noticeable bite from me. Um, and I get that tobacco. I'm really not getting much orange at all. I might get it here or there on a sip or two, but the tobacco at the back end tobacco sits on your tongue it sits on the back of your tongue and it's maybe it's because i'm used to it with a cigar um or a pipe but i can i definitely can taste it just sitting here yeah Um, it's lingering yeah it's not a bad flavor i like it no it's not bad at all like i said originally it it surprised me with how smooth it was um i would definitely i would i would give it a solid four out of five um, I would I would buy it again. All right, yeah, I would say I, I agree. I would buy it again. Um, yep. Probably also go four to five. Um, cool. I think I liked the Suntory last week more, um, but I tend to like Japanese whiskey a little bit more than I like Kentucky bourbon. So I I would have to lean the other way. Really, I, I like this better than the Suntory. Okay. Um, so. I know we're running a smidge long here. It's a, we're sitting at an hour and seventeen. That's but, not bad. Uh, yeah, it's not too bad. We're gonna. You want to uh, chop a little rocks? We're gonna try this new segment called chopping rocks, <laughs> um, because Megan's a Rockies fan and I'm a Braves fan, and so we're gonna combine that and talk about the Braves and the Rockies and yeah. chopping rocks. Yeah. So talk to me about the Rockies. Um, we have not had a great week. Um, so we're now, we're now second, uh, in the West. We were first for a while there. Um, but we've had a, a bit of a losing, uh, streak. Um, our new pitcher, uh, is actually doing really well. Um, I have really high hopes for this dude. Um, I talked a little bit about him last week. Um, Castilian, I think his name is. And now that I say that, I'm gonna have to double check. Um, well, while you do that, I'm looking Ryan, up. Ryan uh, Cast- Castellini. Castellini. Italian. Castellani. Castel something. Hello, Navia. A new kid. 24 year olds, years old. Um, pitching for the Rockies. And he's he's impressing me so far, especially being a rookie. Like, I'm, I'm looking forward to see where he goes. I hope the Rockies don't trade him. So, as far as the Braves go... Um, I don't know what that static is. You hear that? Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Um. Anyway, as far as the Braves go, I'm uh, I'm a little frustrated with how MLB is doing this season because the Braves are sitting in uh, second place in the NL East. Um, but they've uh, their record is thirteen and ten, and they're second to the Marlins, who are nine and six. Um, the Braves have almost won as many games as the Marlins have played. Uh, you know, because the Marlins infected like their entire team with COVID and then tried to infect the Phillies. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was strategy too, by the way. Those fuckers. I hate Don Mattingly. <laughs> I, I, I feel like he's the type that would do anything devious to win. Um, I, I will stay quiet on that. But mm, mm, yeah, I, mm. yeah. I don't like Don Mattingly. But regardless, we're uh, because of win percentage, Miami's at. and we're at .565, so they're technically ahead of us. Um, The Braves this week, uh, I did not get to see several games uh, just because of my work schedule, but um, I I I do know that Acuna and Albies both have wrist issues, and they're on the uh, 10-day DL. Um, With that being said, you know, hopefully hopefully Ronald's back by Friday, I think – Albies is supposed to be back soon. We're um, struggling in the pitching department, at least as the starting pitching goes. I mean, we we lost our ace, Mike Soroka. I think our – I might have said this last time, but our our rotation at the start of the season was supposed to be Felix Hernandez, Cole Hamels, Mike Soroka, Max Freed, and um, uh, I don't remember the fifth one, but – Hernandez opted out. Hamels got injured and put on the 45-day DL, and Soroka tore his Achilles in the second week of the season. So we're down to one of our five starting pitchers, and we're just kind of limping along somehow. 2020 is just... Uh, I mean, the way I look at this season, and I, I hate it. I hate to say it this way necessarily, but... It's not a real it, – it's fun. I wouldn't have them cancel it because I love baseball. I love watching it, but I'm not – It doesn't feel like a real season. It's not a real season. I don't care who wins the – I don't care who wins the, the pennant. I want a 162-game season. Yeah. And I feel like football is going to feel the same way, but maybe not. If they can get 16 games in, it might feel different, but – I'm not going to hold my breath. I'm – I don't think it's going to happen, but I I don't think either one of them are going to finish personally, but you know, I hope I'm wrong. So I also hope you're wrong. We're going to see. But all right. Well, um I reckon that'll be a wrap on this one. Hit all us right. up on Instagram. It's at Whiskey Podcast. Yep. Um we got any other social media or anything going on that um, I don't know about? Email us at whiskeyandwonder@gmail.com at where you can um, yell at us and tell us we're stupid and suggest whiskeys for us to try and whatever else you want to do. Yeah, suggest topics too because I'm shitty at coming up with topics. <laughs> um, you totally derailed my I'm so sorry. train of thought there. Email us, suggest whiskeys. Yep, um, topics, yep, all that fun stuff. Um, as of right now, I've been working on our logo for the past little bit so i've not got our patreon or our amazon set up but nice. since the uh the podcast isn't live yet i figure i'll yeah. I have some time until we actually launch it so guys just just to keep everybody in the loop what we're doing here uh, we're we're gonna record probably four maybe five of these and then post them weekly and that basically is just gonna give us a uh, little bit of a buffer if for some reason we can't record one week we still have a new episode we can exactly. release. And so we'll hopefully, if everything goes according to plan, we'll be four or five weeks ahead um, in our recording. And that'll give, like I, you know, like we said earlier, it, we're, we're a two-person team. Um, 
I, I, you know, we do the recording, we research everything. I edit everything. Um, you know, we're just doing this in my house as a hobby. Yep. So if you, if you get a chance, help us out, like subscribe, rate us five stars, whatever platform, please definitely. Um, That'll help us a lot. You know, if you feel the urge to donate, absolutely. Um, we are always looking to upgrade equipment. Um, we'd like to get it to the point, you know, if you're a sponsor and want to sponsor us, shoot, shoot us an email. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk your brand up, send us some product. We'll try some product too. Yeah. That way we have a real testimony as well. You know, I'll send it back if you want. I don't care. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, we're just a two man team. So it can be a little daunting sometimes working. I work two jobs. I know you work full time and yep. squeezing this is this research in this week has felt like a third full time job. Um, you know, so, um, but I would like to get it to a point where, you know, at some point, whatever cash does come in, we, you know, after we hit a certain goal, whatever that goal may be, we donate 20% to some charity, kind of like time suck does. I think that would be a good, good cause, but you know, that's something later down the road. We'll, we'll get there one day. Yeah. One day for sure. We'll, we'll do live shows and it's going to be great. Yeah. So. And I'll be a lot better. Yes, we're all get, we're just gonna get better. Y'all hear less of the dogs and ums. Less of me stuttering and stumbling <laughs> over words, hopefully. But then again, you know that might mush mouth is is a condition. So. Might just be a thing that happens. Yep, I'll own it one way or the other. <laughs> all right, well, I reckon that'll do it for uh, God. I reckon I told you I redneck talk. <laughs> um, my redneck talking is is good. Anyway, um, I guess Um, that's it. We'll wrap it up. Um, All right. Uh, Thank you, guys. This is uh, Whiskey and Wonder and um, Megan. And I'm Tyler. And don't drink and drive.